I'm Emily Schwing. And I'm Dana Shinners, and we're recording from Vegilution Community Farm. Vegilution is a six-acre farm in the heart of Silicon Valley, where we believe in connecting people through food and farming. This is the first episode in a multi-series podcast to tell our stories on the farm. Each episode will focus on a particular story coming from our community on and around the farm. This episode will be the first in the Seed Stories series. That's right, Dana. Seed Stories are narratives of personal experiences with nature. This can be first experiences or a profound moment when nature had a major impact on an individual's life. These stories describe how we all come to discover our roots in nature. If that sounds a little confusing to you still, stay with us. Emily and I are going to share our stories with you. Where does your story take place? So my story takes place in New Jersey. Uh, I grew up along the coast of New Jersey, and I spent most of my summers on the beach, uh, in the water, every day, every summer, for about the first 18 years of my life. Um, And I grew up on an island, and it was a barrier island. So for those of you who don't know what a barrier island is, um, a barrier island is a long, narrow sand island that is parallel to the mainland and serves to protect the coast from erosion. Barrier islands typically have dunes along the exposed outer side, zones of vegetation in the interior, and swampy areas along the inner lagoon. So basically, barrier islands are there to protect the main course, main sections of another body of land. Um, so they're not really meant to be lived on, because they move and change. Uh, and every day of the summer, I would run up over the dune grass, through the plants, uh, to go look at the ocean, look at the beach. Uh, I never stopped to take a look at the dune grass, nor did I really care that it was there or pay attention to the different types that were there. Um, but my grandma was super adamant in keeping up the dune grass. She would plant, be out there every day, planting new dune grass, um, up, t- up, you know, keeping up with the planting uh, and the other plants. In these towns, playing in the dune grass was actually illegal. There, you would get fined about $500 if you were caught playing in the dune grass. So, and I never really realized, you know, why this mattered, why this dune grass was there. I thought it was just, you know, part of the landscape, and that's all it was. That my grandma was this crazy lady who just wanted to plant this grass on the beach, because um, there's a lot of other houses along the coast there that do not have dune grass. They want as close as they can get to the ocean front. Um, they want that view, the aesthetic appeal of of having your house right on the ocean. Uh, but my grandmother really wanted to have these native plants in place um, in front of the house on the beach. So do you think about that time in your life often? Do you, do you go back to those memories frequently? I definitely do. Uh, since moving into California and since being here, since the drought has started, um, it's, it's really made me appreciate, you know, the value of native plants. Um, and I really respect, you know, everyone in the neighborhood that I live in, I, you know, we go for walks and I can see all the green grass, but then I also notice... You know, those native plants, those yards with the native plants, the very little grass. Um, and it just kind of reminds me of home, reminds me of seeing, you know, this area of dune grass and dune trees um, that not every other house had um, because they wanted, you know, to be, you know, that up on close, up on the ocean, um, where instead of, you know, listening to nature, doing what nature originally did was this dune grass and these dune trees, these people took that out. Um, they decided they were going to be the ones in control. My roots have grown, but I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. My roots have grown, but I don't know When Hurricane Sandy was off the coast of New Jersey. Um, it didn't make landfall as a hurricane, but that's another story. Um, we'll just call it Superstorm Sandy for the purpose of, of this. Um, and I was out here in California, and I had to experience the storm... You know, through social media. I wasn't there to experience it. Uh, most of my family had to evacuate. And it was the first time that I've ever actually 
felt that a place that I had called home was threatened by, by nature, by this storm. Um, this was, it was a huge storm. Um, and there was a lot of, I was not getting firsthand experience. I was getting, you know, stories through Twitter, through Facebook. Um, and I was, I was really nervous that the place that I called home was going to be destroyed. Um, I remember watching videos of Hurricane Katrina and thinking about all those kids' homes and, you know, what those, what those people were going through. And I was kind of reflecting on myself of, wow, this is, this is my place that I grew up. Um, it's never going to be the same. All the houses that I know are going to be gone. Um, and that's all I was thinking. And so, and it's like the first time that I actually felt a sense of place for a location. Um, and I love the weather almost more than anything. And this was, this was really hard for me to try to understand that something that I had a passion to study and really love was going to destroy a place that I also really loved. So most of my family evacuated before the storm made landfall. And for the most part, the houses were fine. A uh, little water damage here and there, but, you know, all of them still remained standing. Uh, about two days after the stormy landfall, one of my high school friends sent me a picture of my grandparents' house. And in the picture was, you know, the house, the dunes, and, and the beach. And most of the beach was washed away. There was probably about a 20-foot cliff, you know, from the, from the bottom of the base of the beach up to the dunes. Uh, and it was pretty remarkable seeing, you know, seeing that dune grass and plants still intact. And that's, and that's what, you know, protected my grandparents' house, protected this place that I called home for, you know, 18 summers of my life. And as I looked at this picture, it just made me really appreciate, you know, listening to nature and working with nature and not against it. Um, a lot of us live in areas that are, you know, affected by extreme weather. Um, and it's becoming more and more, you know, common. And by listening to nature, we can, you know, get a, get a better understanding of why these things are happening and what we can do, you know, to better prepare ourselves. You know, there's no, there's no such thing as fighting against nature because that's never, you know, no one's ever going to win that battle. But being able to listen and understand, we can, you know, work together to, you know, minimize the effects of, of what we view as, as bad nature. Um, because Superstorm Sandy wasn't bad nature. What was bad was the way we developed our coastlines. That's, that's what was bad. Uh, Sandy, it, those storms are going to happen and they're going to happen more frequently, but being able to, you know, be adaptable and flexible with, with the way we develop our coastlines is, is super important. And by listening to what nature did in the past, by planting native plants, by planting native grass. And that's the reason I love nature is because it, it tells you things that if you don't stop and listen or stop and look, you'll, you'll never know. And, you know, working with nature, it just makes sense because we're, uh, you know, we're part of nature. And as all these places change, because they will over time, we'll, we'll have a better understanding of nature, we'll, which will make us all more adaptable as we, as we just move through this world um, and move through these places that we, that we call home. Somewhere underneath the floorboard, I will sweep my garden. So Dana, where does your seed story take place? So my seed story takes place in a sandbox in Madison, Wisconsin, in my backyard. So I spent a lot of time in this sandbox. I would just go out there and play by myself in the early morning before my brother was up to play with me. And one of the things I like to do is play gardener. So I would go to the rocks in front of my house and pick out a little pebble, and I would pretend that it was a seed, and I would plant it in the sand, and I would water it, and I knew it was all pretend, and I knew it would never grow. But one day, it was, um, it was the end of fall, 
and I went into my garage to look for a seed to plant, and I found an ear of blue corn that we had used as decorations for Halloween. And I picked off a piece of this corn, not thinking anything of it, just thinking that it would be my pretend seed for my gardener. And I planted it and I watered it and I continued to water it. And then lo and behold, some corn sprouted in my sandbox. I was so excited because I did not think that anything was gonna grow. I thought that all of my gardening play was completely pretend. So I ran inside and I told my parents and my dad was super proud of me because he works as an agricultural engineer um, and he does research on corn and corn stover and creating alternative energies from that. But at that age, all I knew was that he worked with corn um, so he was really proud of me, and both my parents came out to the sandbox to look at my little corn, and I watched it grow for a while. I think that it got maybe five or six inches tall before I pulled it out because I wanted more space in my sandbox to play. But I don't know where they are. Don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. Fast forward many years from my corn planting, I was in school still in Madison, Wisconsin, and I got an internship with an organization working with youth in the garden as a garden educator. And at that point in time, I just knew I wanted to start connecting with the natural part of my city more. Um, and I didn't really know that much else. But it ended up being the most transformative experience, an internship of my life, um, simply because I, I was immersed in this amazing environment in which to teach kids where I felt like I didn't have to be the disciplinarian all the time. I was able to listen to the kids, what they wanted to do, and help them explore their curiosities. And... So I also, I had really awesome weeding conversations with my um, coworkers who ended up being really amazing friends. Um, there's something about having a conversation while everyone's sitting in the dirt and sweating and weeding and you just kind of talk about anything and it seems more connected. And so I started to notice these changes within myself after I came home from work. Um, it sounds like really corny, but, but I don't know. There's something about just getting your hands really dirty and like working really hard and having sore muscles and washing literal dirt off yourself in the shower after the end of the day. And so what I was doing was really bringing me so much joy. Um, and I began, it was transformative for me because I began to see the power uh, in what I was doing. Um, so I was leading kids in all these activities from planting to harvesting, and then we would go cook. And it was amazing to see how much more willing kids were to eat things that they harvested or how much more willing they were 
to at least try a bite of something that they never have before because they see, they're seeing where it grows in the ground. Um, so I remember one time I was cleaning up after a program and a little boy came back with his mom and uh, very timidly asked us if they could pick some tomatoes um, to take home and make in their dinner that night. And we were all really excited and, of course, said yes. And um, they, were, they were very timid about it, but we just sort of gave them their space to pick, pick all the tomatoes they wanted. And it was amazing because that's exactly what our mission was there. We wanted kids to bring the lessons that they learned at the garden home with them, and it was working. I remember one of the first lessons I taught was harvesting leeks and... We had really, really huge leaks. So in Wisconsin, leaks do pretty well because of the weather. And so it was the fall, and the leaks were just gigantic, like probably as tall as the preschoolers who were harvesting them. And I remember just telling them to grab it at the bottom and pull out as hard as they could. Um, and they just started doing it, and they were so excited, and they would... Like, the littlest kids would pull out a leak from the ground that was probably as big as them and, like, hold it above their head and shake it and be like, yeah, like, I got it. And it was so cute. Is there an activity that you really enjoyed leading with the kids? Yeah, my favorite activity to lead with the kids was transplanting because imagine teaching a group of preschoolers, maybe 10 of them, to transplant a 50-foot bed. Does that sound easy to you? No, we can't even do that with college-age students here. Right. So this was the challenge that I eventually overcame. So I would have all of the kids line up. I would have one volunteer walk down each side of the bed that showed where you could walk and where you could not. And I would demonstrate it, and I would ask them all sorts of questions. And usually during that, kids would start telling me all sorts of stories about how they garden at home with their parents or what they garden at school. And eventually, once the demonstration was over, I would have the kids go one by one down the row, and they would just start planting. And it wasn't chaotic. You'd think it would be, but it wasn't. So kids would go at their own pace. That was the best part, that sometimes you would have a little boy who would get, like, ten transplants in the ground, and the little girl next to him would just be doing one, and she would make it perfect, and she would kind of look at it when she was done. Um, and both of them were completely content, asking questions, getting distracted by worms. But... In the end, we'd bring everyone out of the row, and I would have them like look at all the nice little green plants sticking up and give themselves a round of applause. And it was, it was beautiful, except the row would be completely crooked and the drip line wouldn't go on it. But the best part about my job was that that didn't matter because the food we grow is for cooking activities and it's donated to a food pantry. It's not, it's not about what kind of produce we get out of it. It was about the learning experience that the kids had. So as a young girl, I was accidentally a farmer in the sandbox. I had no intention of ever going back to that. 
but I guess just an innate connection with with nature is what I think brings a lot of people at Vegolution back to farming. Don't know where they are. I don't know where they are. My roots have grown, but I don't know where they are. Thanks for joining us on the Farmcast. We hope that you enjoyed hearing our seed stories as much as we enjoyed conjuring them up and remembering. So our next episode will air on Friday, October 16th, and we'll be talking with our farm manager, Colleen, here at Vegolution, about how dirty our dirt is in our soil story series. It's uh, gonna be one of our most exciting series of this farm cast.